0: passing of my dad uh, we have just sensed family together we know you've been praying for us on our many trips down to new hampshire uh, beth and i will leave after the morning service to go back down to new hampshire this afternoon uh, to spend some time with my mom uh, whom we had to admit to a nursing home uh, so we, there's been a lot of loss especially on my mom's part and uh, she loves the lord and we're so grateful for that as did my dad So I just want to say thank you. The church, uh, in memory of my dad, made a gift to Gideon's, and I think my dad would have been very pleased with that. My dad loved the word, and uh, he would always say to me, whenever I would ask him, uh, Dad, have you given any thought to planning for the future? And, uh, you know, with settling your affairs and things like that, he would say no. He said, I'm going in the rapture, and I plan on taking the rest of you with me. He said, so we won't, we won't worry about the, the other stuff. And, uh, and he said, and if I go, then you and your brothers can fight over it anyways. And uh, so, you know, he, he always looked forward to the Lord's return, and he just made it there ahead of the rest of us. And also the, the church uh, gave Beth and I a gift to help with some of our traveling expenses, and, and we recognize that that comes from your giving and allowing the church to, to use the funds that way. So we just want to say thank you as well. I want to talk this morning about this idea of a legacy. I, I have inherited, I think, a great legacy. I had a mom and dad who, uh, from when I was about five years old, and they trusted Christ as their Savior, and the Lord made entrance into our home through the Word, through the Holy Spirit, through parents that loved the Word and ministered in, the, in our local church, in camp ministries, I had the the privilege of of being raised in a home where from a young age I knew that this Word of God was just that. It was the Word of God. It wasn't man's ideas, man's traditions. It was God's very Word. I grew up understanding that. I grew up having the privilege of of parents who wanted to instill within me a desire to follow God with all of my heart. It was my privilege at my dad's funeral to stand and to say to the folks that were gathered that my dad loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, as little as it was at the end. And I, and I truly believe that. And that's, and that's a legacy that he has left to me. Uh, This is is a legacy that we have to leave to our children as a church family. And I want to talk about the person of Timothy this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We as a church family, and I'm speaking here to the adults first, we have an incredible opportunity to raise our children Children And by children, I don't just mean our biological children, but as we are family together, as we are caring for one another, one another's children in our different youth ministries, Sunday school, uh, just in, in, in fellowship with one another in this room once or twice a week, we have a great opportunity, adults, to instill in the lives of our younger ones, the children, even from the nursery on up, our junior high kids, our teens. We have college and career age. We have the the incredible opportunity to, to build a legacy, to leave a legacy. And that's why Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is one of the three pastoral epistles. Paul wrote to Timothy while Timothy was pastoring at a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was an incredibly ungodly culture. It was at Ephesus where today you would find the ruins of the Temple of Diana. The Temple of Diana, was the, she was the goddess of fertility. All of the economy of Ephesus and the surrounding areas was wrapped up in the worship of Diana. All of the social life of, of, and family life and business life of the area of Ephesus and surrounding areas was wrapped up in this idea of worshiping Diana. And it was in that culture of paganism, that culture of worldliness, that anti-God culture that a church was birthed and established with first-generation believers who called upon Jesus Christ and understood that Jesus Christ was the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it was in that culture that Timothy found himself trying to shepherd a group of first generation believers who many of them had, had no family history of walking with God and who had an incredible sense of culture around them walking away from God, if we could put it that way. And it was in that kind of a setting that Timothy is trying to pastor the church and Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy and he writes to him again in 2 Timothy and Paul would write to Titus who was pastoring on the island of Crete in a similar situation and Paul would write to these to these two men in these three epistles 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus he would write to them with the desire to help them to simply walk out the truth in some very practical ways When you think of Timothy shepherding this church at Ephesus. uh, You have to know how he got there, first of all. He didn't just grow up and go to New Brunswick Bible Institute and become a pastor. There was a lot that was going on in his life prior to that. And that's what I want to look at this morning. When we look at our young people in our congregation whether it's the littlest children or right up through the teens, college and career, as, and even as adults, when we look at one another and we ask the question, will this person be found serving God? Will this person be found serving God? The, the, the question is answered, I think, in part by what we're doing today to help enable that. When I think of Timothy I think of a man who, when Paul met him, had credibility in his life because of what had been poured into his life by way of legacy even before Paul met him. So I know I've said turn to 2 Timothy, but let's just back up a little bit in the story here and, uh, and look at Acts chapter 16 for a moment. In Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and Silas And they're on their second missionary journey. Paul had an initial missionary journey and then a second and then a third one that's recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. And on his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul returns to the region of Galatia, to cities like Iconium and and Lystra and Derbe. And he had been there previously and had planted a church there. And now on his second journey, he returns to that same region, and we pick it up in verse 1 of Acts 16. Then came he to Derbe in Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, the first thing you notice is Timothy is already a disciple. A disciple in this context is simply a follower of Jesus. Timothy is already that, even before Paul meets him. That's important to note. Second thing, he was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. And so, according to the text here, uh, Timothy, his mom, was a Jew. She was a believer. She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. She believed that Christ came and paid the penalty of our sin on Calvary's cruel cross and was raised again the third day. She was a believer, and she would have taught Timothy that truth. Now we're told that his dad was was Greek and that likely indicates he was a Gentile, perhaps a non-believer, we don't know. But we see this in verse two, that Timothy was well reported of by the brethren which were at Lystra and Iconium. He had a good reputation. Timothy was already a follower of Christ. He was a man with a good reputation and he had a mom, at least, that we know, and a grandmother, who were believers. And there was something that was taking place in his home from an early age that got him ready for this next verse. Verse 3, him would Paul have to go forth with him. Him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul the apostle, Paul the missionary church planter, Paul, who met Timothy in his hometown of a of, uh, of, uh, home region of Galatia, Paul, who probably talked to others who knew Timothy and who reported well of Timothy, Paul chose Timothy to work with him. And so Timothy initially went with him and, uh, and learned the work of the ministry under Paul. Uh, but then Timothy... Uh, Timothy would, would be commissioned by Paul and others to go into some really tough areas to serve God. Timothy was charged with, with going into the city of Corinth and working with a Corinthian church there, which was very backslidden in its state. And Paul, and Paul sent Timothy. He trusted Timothy for that hard work at Corinth. I'll tell you what. If the church at Corinth called me to be their pastor, I would say, no, please don't call again. That would be one tough church to pastor. But Paul trusted Timothy to go there. Paul trusted Timothy to go to Thessalonica and to comfort a persecuted church. That was, that was also a very tough responsibility he gave him. But something had taken place in Timothy's life that led up to that commissioning to go to Corinth, to go to Thessalonica, And then Paul would trust Timothy to stay at Ephesus while Paul left Ephesus. And Timothy there was was charged with teaching that church how to discern truth in a culture that was full of lies. Another tough ministry opportunity. But something had happened in Timothy's life as a child that prepared him to go to Corinth, to go to Thessalonica, to go to Ephesus, and do the work of the ministry. And, uh, and that's what I want to look at in our time this morning, is what was it that prepared Timothy? What prepared Timothy is the very same thing, we're gonna look at three things, the same three things that will prepare our young people to go out into this world and to live against culture, not to become like the rest of the world around them, but to stand apart from the world and to stand firm in the truth, and to serve their God. The same three things that helped Timothy get ready to go with Paul are the very same three things that will help our young people, and it's these three things that I think as adults we have to pay very careful attention to. And so having said that, come back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to take the time to, to look at all of the chapter, although... If I could give you some homework, as our pastor does, I would say read chapter 3. In the first nine verses of chapter 3, we see a description of the, of the, the perilous days in which Timothy lived and in which we live today. Uh, let's just look at a brief part of this, this description, beginning at verse 1, 2 Timothy 3. Let's look to the Lord and ask his help to understand the text. Father, give us wisdom as we look at the, the, this text Help us to understand what it was that Paul was saying to Timothy. Help us to recognize the value of the things that were done in Timothy's young life and uh, to get him ready to serve here at Ephesus. And help us to see the value of performing those same things in the lives of our young people at the People's Church, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Paul describes the perilous times in verse one. He says, "This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy and the, and the list goes on, and we won 't take time to read through that whole list, but Paul is simply describing the symptoms of of a, of a culture that is trying very hard to not walk with God, but to walk in their own ways. Paul describes what that looks like in verses 1 to 9. I call it the symptoms of perilous times. And then he also provides the solution, uh, beginning at verse 10. In verse 10, he says to Timothy, Timothy, who is the pastor at Ephesus, Timothy, who is experiencing these very things that Paul is speaking of in his congregation, Paul says this, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my teaching, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, At Iconium, at Lystra, this is Timothy's hometown. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And then he goes on. The symptoms of the perilous days in which we live are what we've just read in the first nine verses. Man living for himself. The solution... In verses ten to seventeen, is simply this: man learning how to live for God, not for self. And Paul uses his own ministry as a pattern, as an example. And so, if the if the symptoms are are the 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 description of the perilous days in which we live, then the solution simply has to be to to just continue in the work of God, and in the word of God. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, this is how terrible life looks, and, and what you need to do is continue to work for God, serve God as I have served God, even in persecution, even in suffering. You've known what I've said. You've seen how I've lived as I've served God. You've got to continue to do that, Timothy. And, and you do that according to the truth of scriptures, which we see in verses 16 and 17 here. So if I could just step back from the text and summarize what we've looked at so far, let me say it this way. We are raising young people here in the different families and as a church family who we obviously desire that as they get older and go out from us, Our desire is that they won't be caught up in the perilous times and become lovers of self and and disobedience and, and, and all of these other things that Paul describes as being the culture. Our desire is for our kids to somehow escape that and to do well. We want our kids to become adults who want to serve God we're not talking about full-time vocational ministry, if that's what God calls our young people to. That's his business. He can do that. But at the very least, we want to be raising up a generation of kids who will serve God in their families and in their local assemblies. We want to raise up kids who will, who will trust God's word, not just because mom and dad have said so now, but but because as they get older and out on their own they trust god's word because they know god that's our desire isn't it we want our kids to do well that's what paul is saying to timothy timothy i want you, i want you to do well as the pastor of the church don't be taken don't be taken by how people are living those who are walking away from god but but be, but be taken up with this idea of letting your life count for God. So there's three things that were taking place in Timothy's life. We're going to look at those very briefly. In Timothy's life, when he was a child, with a mom who was a believer, with a grandmother who was a believer, there were three things that took place in his life that need to be taking place in the life of our church family. And I think I think are. This isn't a message of admonition. This is a message of encouragement. These three things. First of all, there was the demonstration of authentic faith. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Paul, as he begins his letter to Timothy, and by the way, this is likely the last thing that he ever wrote to Timothy. Paul, in this epistle, this letter, even speaks of his own impending death because he was a follower of Christ and followers of Christ were often martyred, killed by the government. And Paul alludes to that in this book. But as he begins this letter here, he says this in verse 5, telling Timothy how much he misses him. He says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He says, Timothy, you have unfeigned faith. That word unfeigned, it just simply means sincere. It means unhypocritical. Timothy was shown a demonstration of authentic faith, at least by his mom and his grandmother. We know that much. Perhaps it was by many others that he was in association with, but it was at least by his mom and his grandmother. They showed him what authentic faith looks like. Can I say this carefully? Authentic faith is not the same thing as church traditions. Authentic faith is not the same thing as having rituals that we do as, as Christians. Authentic faith isn't just getting up and going to church because it's Sunday. Now, we hopefully get up and go to church on a Sunday because we have authentic faith, but just getting up and getting in the car and going to church doesn't mean we have authentic faith. It means we have a tradition, at least. It means we partake in some ritual, perhaps, but it doesn't necessarily mean our faith is authentic. Authentic faith is not about tradition. It's about trust. Faith is trusting God. Faith, authentic faith, is when I believe what God has said and I am striving in the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit to live according to how he has said. It's, that's much more than just traditions. It's much more than just the going through the motions Many of us have experienced seasons in our own life, probably, where we've, we've come to church just going through the motions. It's our tradition. It's what we do. It's Sunday. We don't sleep in. We get up. We put on our nice clothes. We crowd into the car, and we come to church. We stand up, and we sing, and we sit down, and we sleep. And and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and this is just what we do. We 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 sometimes say an Amen when the pastor calls for an Amen and, and it and we just we, we go through the routine, the motion sometimes. We've all, perhaps, I say I, perhaps maybe some of us, I shouldn't say we all, maybe some of us have gone through seasons where, where our church life has become more of a, a tradition, a routine. It's what we do, it's because it's what's expected. That's not necessarily authentic faith. I would suggest that what Timothy learned in his home and in his early experiences of worshiping God, I would suggest that it was much more than just a tradition he was learning. It was much more than just rituals he was performing. He was learning how to trust God because he saw his mom and his grandmother trusting God. It was sincere. I think one of our greatest responsibilities as adults is to teach our children, our young people, what sincere faith looks like. It, sometimes we use this expression, let our, let our walk match our talk. We've got to make sure that as adults in our church family, what we're saying to our young people is also what we are doing in our own private lives. I I don't think there's much more that would discourage a young person from following God than to see disparity or insincerity or hypocrisy between what is stated and what is actually lived out. That's why Paul in chapter 3 says to Timothy, you've known my doctrine, my words, and my manner of life, how I've lived and you know that it matches up. Let's use this hypothetical illustration so you can see what I'm saying. Imagine a young person being dragged to church every week by his parents and being told, you need to love God, you need to worship God, you need to be glad we're here at church, you need to at least look like you're a Christian while you're at church, please. And, and then that child goes home and hears mom and dad squabbling, or observes dad watching programs on television that are inappropriate, or, or, or hears mom and dad talking negatively, wrong, in their gossiping and murmuring of others in the church family. And you know what that child is going to pick up on? He's gonna pick up on this idea of, of the walk doesn't match the talk, And so I don't think this thing of church or following Jesus is legitimate. I don't think it's sincere. I think it's just the traditions, the rituals that my parents are engaged in. And when I get old enough, I'm going to slip out from underneath that as quick as I can. I I think that's the danger of not presenting or not demonstrating authentic faith. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that there's any one of us that that is doing that. Matter of fact, I would suggest that I think there's a number of of us in our church family that are doing a good job at demonstrating authentic faith. I want you to think just in recent years of the number of our own young people that have grown up and they've gone on to love God and they've continued on in church life. and and some who have gone on for vocational training for ministry, others who perhaps haven't but are still walking with God nonetheless. I think at People's Church, we have enjoyed a number of good years of our young people seeing authentic faith demonstrated in our church family and in our homes. I I think that's what helped Timothy get ready for that day that Paul showed up and said, come with me. I think it's because he saw a demonstration of authentic faith. So we've just got to stay sharp at this. Then there was something else that he saw. He saw the declaration of the authoritative scriptures. Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or, or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Timothy's home, and I'm, and I'm very sure in the, in the assembly of people that he worshipped with growing up, I am positive that Timothy heard the declaration of the authoritative scriptures. He heard God's word declared. And he knew God's word had authority over his life. He knew God's word was that which brought him to salvation. It was that which thoroughly furnished him unto all good works. One of our greatest privileges is to show our young people how the Word of God is our authority and how the Word of God will help us to do all that God calls us to do in, in every part of our life, whether it's our family life, our social life, relational, relationships, our work life, Whatever part of life we're engaged in, the word of God is profitable and will help us to know how to think right about life. It is profitable to help us to know how to live right in this life. That's why Paul says to Timothy, he says, Don't don't forget, but continue in the things which you have learned. Because, Timothy, what you've learned as a young child, as the authority of God's word has been declared, that is going to be what is going to help you. In all of Timothy's ministry, whether it was at Corinth or Thessalonica or at Ephesus or at the other places he was engaged in ministry, at every point of Timothy's ministry, his job number one, was to help God's people understand the difference between what God has said and what the world has to say. That was job number one for him. The world had a lot to say about how to live life, who to worship, how to treat people. And then God has something to say. And the difference is God. what God has to say is the authority. When God speaks... Let every man listen. And Timothy's job one was to just simply say over and over in every church that he was a part of, this is what God has to say about this issue. Whether it's the issue of relationships, whether it's the issue of family Uh, dynamics, whether it's the issue of church life, whether it's the issue of how to treat those who work for you, whether it's the issue of how to care for those that can't care for themselves. Whatever the issue is, God's word speaks to it with authority. And Timothy grew up with a mom and a grandmother who taught him the authority of the word. And he fellowshiped with other believers who subscribed to the authority of the word. And Paul says, continue in it. So there needs to be authentic faith demonstrated. There needs to be the authoritative word declared. And the last thing that I think helped Timothy and will help our young people is that there needs to be discipleship towards active service. Discipleship towards active service. When Timothy was being raised, there must have been something that was taking place in his life that caused him to think, you know what? I think I need to serve God. God. I think as Timothy was discipled by his mom, his grandmother, perhaps others, he was, he was given the idea that this, this, this concept of serving God was a good thing. And so that he had a reputation he was well reported of by others. They knew that he was, he was legitimate. He wasn't just sitting. He was doing and so that when Paul came along and met him, Paul said, I want you to come with me and to keep on serving. There needs to be a discipling towards active service. As a church family, we need, and as individual families, we need to be careful to raise our young ones up to serve God. And again, I'm not talking about full-time vocational ministry. That's God's business but we also need to free them up to serve God. We have a number of students at NBBI, by way of example, who would say it this way, I want to serve God with my life. My parents don't want me to. I would love to go into ministry. My parents want me to learn a trade so I can better support myself and them. We need need to raise our young ones up to serve God, and then we need to free them up to serve God. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to come with me now. Can you imagine if Timothy's mom spoke up and said, whoa, 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 no, we need him here. We don't want him going with you. We don't know what that's going to look like. Tell us what it's going to look like. Okay, well, he's going to be persecuted for his faith. Uh, no, we don't want that for our child. We want, we want to protect our child. We don't want him exposed to all that takes place in ministry. The the hurt, the being let down by people, The the having to having to engage people who are not willing to obey God. We don't want that for him or her. Can you imagine if that was the response on Timothy's mom and grandmother's part? We don't mind him going to church, but we don't want him to get carried away with this idea of serving God. No, we need to raise them up and then free them up. When Paul met Timothy... He was already considered to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ means you need to be willing to lay aside your own agenda and just follow Christ. He already had a credible reputation, and he was consenting to go and to serve. And I think the reason is because when Timothy was growing up, he saw authentic faith not perfect faith, but real, authentic faith. He heard the authoritative word declared, and he was discipled to move towards active service, not to pull away from and not get engaged, but to engage. And I think those three things stood, stood Timothy well, and I think those three things will help us. So let's just close in prayer. Father... I pray that in the months and years to come, if the Lord should tarry his return, that you would find in the collection of families here called the People's Church, that you would find many families and together that you would find us collectively as a church demonstrating authentic faith to our young ones. In declaring the authoritative scriptures and showing our young people how the word of God is profitable. And then you would find us discipling our young people towards active service, encouraging them to serve in whatever capacity, according to whatever giftedness they have because of you and your spirit, that you would find us as a church family, encouraging service in providing opportunities for service, whatever that might look like. And then we pray, Lord, that as we have enjoyed a long standing tradition of folks leaving this place to go out into ministry, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the joy of continuing that tradition in the years to come. We don't know what that looks like down the road, but you do. And we just pray that you would find us faithful in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you.